0: Peace be with you. My name is Drew. I'm, I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn Heights, like Brandon said. Um, as, obviously, he's not preaching this week. Um, I promise not to make any reference to the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, there's really not much to say at this point. So um, who, who was supporting a marathoner this morning? Anyone? And if, I ever, if I ever run a marathon, I don't want you to support me. I want you to rebuke me. Um, I'm serious. Uh, we're slowly working our way through the season of epiphany. Um, it's, an, it's an ancient observance throughout the history of the Christian church. The word epiphany means manifestation or appearing, and for our purposes, it's the manifestation or appearing of Jesus. Um, And we see this season as an excellent way to root ourselves in the past. Um, Because every week we gather here standing on the shoulders of faithful men and women who throughout centuries have taken seriously their call to make disciples and to plant churches. That is why we're here. But really, the work of God through his people was initiated long before the early church and long before even the epiphany of Jesus. So let's look at Genesis 11. You don't have to turn there, but in Genesis 11, all of mankind shared a common language. The sons of man, and when I say that, I mean mankind, the sons of man understood one another perfectly, and they were pretty impressed with themselves. They said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. So in their pride, the sons of man were attempting to ascend the heavens. But instead, Genesis 11 tells us that God descended to the earth. And he descended to find all of humanity united together in in opposition to his authority and his direct command. And that command being uh, to be fruitful and to multiply throughout the earth. So, God confused their language and in so doing dispersed them throughout the earth. This story is, it's the story of the Tower of Babel and to be honest, it's strange. Um, it's a strange story. And had the Bible ended there, we would be without hope, we would be without purpose in the world. But as Christians, we we don't believe the story ended there because From amongst those dispersed peoples, God would call unto himself a lowly nation, a slave nation. And and from within that nation, he promised to provide a savior, a Messiah, for all of mankind. this, This son of man would succeed where the sons of man had failed. Though we had been dispersed though we had been dispersed by God's action, God would make us one again tearing down the dividing wall of hostility and even restoring understanding and collaboration across linguistic barriers barriers that were erected at the tower of Babel So the people of God eagerly and rightly awaited the arrival of this Son of Man. So it's an interesting story but what does it have to do with John 1, right? Well throughout the history of the world the sons of man that's you and me have been we've been building our towers. We are all striving and striving and striving to make a name for ourselves to ascend the heavens in our own way. And whether that's whether that's to gain power or prestige or possessions whether that's to meet God or to be God ourselves, all of us live with a deep and nagging desire to make a name for ourselves. Maybe maybe you're not planning on running for president next year. Maybe you genuinely want a simple life. But when was the last time you consciously exaggerated a story? Or when when was the last time your mood was affected by the number of likes or visits or retweets you managed to achieve? Are you, are you pining after names and titles like like boss or doctor or parish leader or husband or wife or mom? Those are all, those are all very good names. Those are good names. But what if God himself were to give you a name? Philippians 2 and Ephesians 1 both say that Jesus was given the name above all names. And yet here, in the book of John, the name he chose for himself was Son of Man. This name is used over 80 times in the first four books of the New Testament. 80 times in the Gospels and only ever from the mouth of Jesus himself. So the king of the universe, the word of God incarnate, through whom all things were made, chose to identify himself with you. We've got three points. Number one, achieving our name. Number two, believing in the name. And number three, receiving our name. So Achieving Our Name. The first chapter of John refers to Jesus by ten different names. One chapter, ten names for Jesus. Verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. Verse 9, the true light was coming into the world. Verse 17, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Verse 29, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Verse 38, and they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Verse 41, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Verse 49, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. And verse 51, you will see the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. So clearly John, the author of this book, is trying to tell us something. And we could zero in. We could zero in on on any one of these names and have a sermon series on on the full full scope of the, the Old Testament prophecies and the full scope of their fulfillment in Jesus right here. But suffice it to say that John is sending a very clear message right off the bat, and it's that Jesus was and is the king and savior that Israel was longing for. And John spends the remaining 20 chapters in this book making that case. That said, let's let's do take a closer look at three names. I, I want to look at two names that Jesus has given and one name that Jesus gives. So so two, two names that Jesus has given, that's Rabbi and Messiah, and one that Jesus gives, and that's Peter. So if you're in the room this morning and, and maybe you wouldn't consider yourself Christian. Take a look, if you would, at at verse 38. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? So John's disciples were still just checking things out. But they approach Jesus, they call him rabbi, and they ask to dwell with him. So they they understood him to be a great moral teacher, which is why they call him rabbi. But they didn't just settle for listening to his wisdom and then keeping him at a distance. They wanted to dwell with him. They asked to dwell with him, to be where he was. So if if that is you this morning, if that's you this morning, If you think Jesus was a great moral teacher, but you're not so sure about his divinity claims, the Son of God bit, I would encourage you, go where he is and stay there. Because we believe the Spirit of Christ dwells powerfully right here in his church. and So we want you here. We want you to stick around to air your doubts and ask your questions. to to even pray to him asking that he would reveal himself to you and expecting that he will. And it's our prayer that Jesus, who, who today may be nothing more than a rabbi, might tomorrow be your king. We pray you'll come to see him as so, so much more than just a great moral teacher. And in verse 39, he says to you, Jesus says to you, Come and you will see. If you are a Christian, if you have already come to see and submit to Jesus as king, read with me from verses 40 to 42. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. So even though Andrew scarcely knew Jesus, he he had just met him, he immediately beckons his brother. He immediately begins introducing others to Jesus. But for whatever little Andrew knew of Jesus, because of Scripture, we believe we can know all there is to know. And more than that, um, We believe that that Jesus is no less present with us by his spirit than he was with Andrew in the flesh. And so woe to us if we neglect to entreat our our brothers and our neighbors. We need to remember, I need to remember, that, that our simplest acts of obedience ring throughout eternity. The things we do and the choices we make when rooted in worship are infinitely significant. Look, Andrew introduced the Apostle Peter to Jesus. The Apostle Peter. Three years later, Peter would preach a sermon and see 3,000 souls saved in a day, which means that Andrew had an incredible spiritual lineage. And it all started with a simple act of obedience. So we've looked at two names Jesus was given. Let's look at the name Jesus gives. Verse 42. Andrew brought Simon to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So Jesus gives Peter his name. There's nothing he did. There's nothing he said to earn it. He said nothing at all. Jesus gives him his name. And yet later, Peter and the other disciples jockey for position like little children. They argue over who's the greatest, right? And they're, they're arguing over who's the greatest in front of Jesus, who says things like, he who is the least among you all is the one who is great. And yet the disciples, just like, just like the sons of man in Genesis 11, were still building their towers they were with Jesus in the flesh and they were still building their towers. Peter had been given a name by God and yet he was still making a name for himself. But I don't think we're any different. Um, We are no different. We really struggle to hear Jesus' humble words here over the over the noise of our tower building. Um, to be honest, my motives at this very moment, my motives, to be brutally honest, they're a mixed bag. I can't I can't escape that. I need for you to respect me. I need for you to think I'm smart. At the at the very same time though, I want I want desperately for you all to to believe the gospel and and to know, the, to know the manifold benefits of life as God's children. We need God's grace all the time and in every way. So what sort of name are you making? How, how would you like to be known? Um, I've got a list here. I'm going to try to peg everybody. Um, so prepare yourselves. Do you want to be known as romantically eligible? How about upwardly mobile? Perfectly healthy, ferociously godly, quietly generous, uncommonly intelligent, relentlessly hardworking, uncompromisingly principled? Do you want to be known as sacrificially loving, undeniably original, heroically loyal, Constantly approachable, effortlessly capable, endlessly fun. Listen, we can be we can be any of these things. These are good things to be. But because of Jesus, we don't need to be those things. And we say it often. But gospel Christianity puts an end to our striving for identity. Puts an end to it. Why does it put an end to it? It puts an end to it because... In Christ, we are children of God, friends of Jesus, justified and righteous, loved and accepted, redeemed and forgiven, citizens of heaven, alive and free, new creations, more than conquerors, members of Christ's body, partakers of the promise, saints, ambassadors, chosen, holy, and blameless, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. These are better names and these names are given not achieved so point 2 believing in the name take a look at verse 51 jesus tells nathaniel truly truly i say to you you will see heaven opened and the angels of god ascending and descending on the son of man So this one verse, cryptic though it may be, puts an end to our tower building. It puts an end to our name achieving. But in order to unlock its meaning, uh, we need to look back to the book of Genesis. Chapter 28 of the book of Genesis picks up with a guy named Jacob. Jacob was Abraham's grandson, which meant that he was a child of the promise that God had given to Abraham. So let me read from Genesis 28, 11 to 13. Jacob came to a certain place. Real quick. Jacob later names this place Bethel. It means house of God, but we'll, we'll come back to that in a second. So Jacob came to Bethel and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Jacob didn't know it, but he was dreaming about Jesus. And many years later, Jacob would return to this same spot. He would turn to Bethel, the house of God. And God speaks to him again. This is Genesis 35, verses 10 through 12. God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. So just as God renamed Simon Peter in John chapter 1, God renames Jacob in Genesis 35. In fact, he calls Jacob Israel. Because in that moment, Jacob, a son of promise, a son of man, stood before God on behalf of a nation yet to be born. God promised him nations. God promised him kings. And God promised him land. And all of this was pointing forward to Jesus. Because Jesus, like Jacob, would stand before God representing the nation of Israel. Through Jesus, Jacob's offspring would bless all the families and all the nations of the earth. Jesus was more than a king. He was the king of kings, a true Israelite, a descendant of Jacob. Jesus is even our promised land. Just as Just as Israel longed to be in the promised land, we are in Christ and we find our true and ultimate rest there. Jesus is the true Bethel, the true house of God. The fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. God has spoken to us by him and we are welcomed into the presence of God through him. But even more than that, Jesus reveals himself to be Jacob's ladder. As we see in John 1, 51, Jesus considers himself the only viable link between heaven and earth. Jesus considers himself the only viable link between heaven and earth. What does that mean for us? It means that even while we were building our man-made towers, God himself was bridging heaven and earth. He was constructing a tower. He was constructing a ladder, not for us to ascend, but for him to descend. God made himself the least among us, which means he is the one who is great. Through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, a way has been made. A ladder has been erected. A tower has been built. Its foundation was laid in the earth along with Jesus' mangled body. And its summit is held secure in the throne room of God the Father. When we believe, when we believe in the name of Jesus, that he took our name upon himself, stood before a holy God as our representative, heaven opens up to us. That's what he says. Heaven opens to us. And we receive a new name. That's point three. Receiving our name. If you've still got your Bible open to John 1, read with me from verse 12. To all who did receive him, Who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So by believing in the name, we receive our name, children of God. Galatians 3.26, in Christ Jesus, we are all sons of God through faith. Sons of God. So, So Jesus assumes the name Son of Man so that you can be given the name Son of God. And one more verse. 1 John 3.1 See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God and so we are. So what kind of love has the Father given to us that we should be called, that we should be named children, sons and daughters of God? So whether... Whether you would consider yourself a Christian or not, it doesn't matter. Come to the true Bethel. Dwell at the foot of Jacob's ladder. Let's gather ourselves around Jesus and live as though heaven has been opened to us. Because it has been. Heaven has been opened to us. When Jesus descended in the flesh, he he brought heaven to earth. And when he ascended in the flesh, he took earth to heaven. Because of this, we have confidence to believe that heaven and earth, which have already collided in Christ, will collide ultimately and gloriously upon his return. Jesus, who alone has experienced the best of heaven and the worst of earth, Is coming, and he's bringing with him the new heavens and the new earth. So everything, our our entire faith, our entire future as the people of God depends upon him. It's hanging in the balance, and and he is the linchpin of our hope. But there is no hope more secure than that. Let's pray.